You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. So, as we think about eldership today, if we could have anybody up here, other <laughs> instead of me, uh, to share about eldership, it would be awesome if we could get an apostle. Like if we could like zoom in an apostle over time and space and get one of those men who had been with Jesus to come and tell these men and tell us as a church what, it was, what, it, what Jesus is intending for his people, what Jesus is intending by gathering them into congregations, and what Jesus is intending by creating the office of elder uh, over God's people. Uh, it would be great to get an, an apostle. And if we could get any of the apostles, it would be awesome to get a guy like Peter. Peter, who walked with Jesus, one of the first ones that was called, got to be part of the inner three, got to see Jesus transfigured on a mountain. He walked on water. He's the only other person besides Jesus to walk on water, and yet he had lost his faith and had to be rescued by Jesus. He got to do amazing things. He got to experience God's grace, but yet he failed horribly. He disqualified himself at one point by denying Jesus, and then Jesus graciously restored him in John chapter 21 and called him. When he restored him, called him with this. He said, feed my sheep. Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And Peter goes on to get to preach the opening sermon that launches Jesus' church. And so he gets to be, in a sense, sort of the first shepherd under Jesus of the congregation. He has his ups and downs. He has to be confronted by Peter or by Paul. Um, And so Peter, Peter, it'd be wonderful to get Peter to jump on a Zoom and just say a few words to these elders about what it was, what Jesus is going for as he established that. I think that if we were able to do that, Peter would just say, hey, I actually will just read to you what I wrote in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. Peter now as an old man, having walked with Jesus for a long time, wants to encourage a bunch of Christians who are in a tough spot. The Roman Empire is really starting to turn the screws on the people. There's all kinds of Jewish oppression and persecution. It is a hard time to be a Christian at the time of this writing of 1 Peter. And Peter himself knows the ups and downs of what it looks like to fail, but also what it looks like to be upheld by God's grace and equipped. And so we want to hear Peter's words here. And as he's speaking to this congregation, he closes his book in chapter 5 with an exhortation to elders, that as these congregations endure suffering and remain faithful, knowing that there is a God who is with them, that Christ will receive them, that they will be rewarded if they do not give up, he tells them about elders. He exhorts the elders because God's people, by God's design, persevere in churches under faithful shepherds under faithful shepherds. That is part of God's mechanism for helping people not give up on Christianity, for seeing it thrive. And so he says this, let's just go to 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5, this important calling to help God's people endure, to make it through the tough times, to guide them to heaven. He says this, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5, so I exhort the elders among you As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, meaning Jesus, 
you will receive the unfounding, unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. A marvelous passage packed with so much good stuff and yet so simple. Like anyone can understand what he's talking about here. And under all of this political pressure, under all of this violence and difficulty, he calls them to humility, led by elders who model this well. So four exhortations for us today. Four exhortations to the elders, the new elders of this congregation. Four applications that will target different areas of our church, different groups of people, different categories of people in our congregation. So four exhortations. First of all, Peter exhorts us as one of us. So this is awesome that he, he's like, hey, elders, I want to talk to you for a minute. And he doesn't pull the apostle card. He could. He could pull the apostle card and just boss us around, but he doesn't. He doesn't say, I command you or I command the elders, but I exhort you. He comes and puts his arm around us, and he says, hey, as a fellow shepherd of God's people, I want to give you some exhortation. Not commands, I want to lead you by example, and I want to draw you forward. I want to woo you into this. I want to appeal to you out of love for God's people and for Christ. Not out of a heavy-handedness, but as an exhortation, as a fellow elder. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He doesn't lay down any of his apostle credentials. He could, but he doesn't. He lays out going, I'm a fellow elder with you. I'm with you. I understand the struggles. I'm walking with you, and I'm coming alongside you as a brother to walk with you, and I exhort you not twist your arm in this. And in, in, in that, he models exactly what it means to shepherd well. In that very verse, he is modeling the shepherding of the elders that he wants them to model with their congregation. Don't pull your authority card. Come alongside the people like I'm coming alongside you. Peter models this. In fact, in verse 3, he's going to tell them not to domineer over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock, and he himself is doing it. He doesn't command, but exhorts. He doesn't apostle, but fellow elders. He reminds us to shepherd as fundamentally sheep, because he says in verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfounding crown of glory, which means that even elders are sheep. We're sheep fundamentally. We're elders for a time, but we're sheep fundamentally, and we're all being shepherded. So these elders are sheep. They're fellow sheep. And Peter himself exhorts us in the way that he wants us to exhort the congregation. By coming alongside, not heavy-handedly, but as an example, because we're fellow sheep too. We're fellow sheep too. He says, I want to exhort the elders among you, which means that he wants the congregation to hear this. He doesn't pull them apart and have kind of like super, super secret meeting. He goes, no, the whole congregation needs to know what their elders are supposed to be like. I want everyone to hear what I'm about to say to these elders because you need to hold them accountable to this and you need to receive what the Lord is calling them to do for you, right? So there's this dynamic between elders and congregation and elders come from the congregation. We don't just import other guys to come and shepherd us. Sometimes that might be required. But mostly we want them to see them grow up within the life of our congregation. We want to develop leaders. We want to disciple everyone. And then once in a while, God will make it clear to us that certain men should be set apart for eldership. Elders don't have some sort of 
They're not set apart from the congregation, they're among the congregation, which means that those of us as elders need to be among the people. We're not a higher class of Christians, we're just Christians, and we're to shepherd among the people. You see that also it says elders plural, which means that it should be more than one guy shepherding the church. To this point in the life of the church, I've primarily been doing that. That's a dangerous thing long term. That's dangerous for my soul. That's dangerous for your souls. The fact that there's a plurality means that there can be different giftings and abilities and accountabilities. So I think we're much healthier now and much closer to the biblical pattern by having a plurality of guys who are now shepherding this congregation that have come from the congregation. You see God's design there. Elders and members are mutually accountable to one another. We need to know what each other's role is so that we might help each other and we might receive from each other that which God intends. But I want you to notice fundamentally that Peter grounds his authority in the gospel. You see that? He's not saying this of his own authority. He's saying this, look, he says, I exhort you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. There's nothing in Peter in and of himself that would that has any authority at all. The authority that he has comes from his relationship to Christ. It's a derivative authority. None of these men that will serve as elders have any right to authority in and of themselves. It's all to to the extent that they are grounding in the gospel and leading you in the gospel that they have authority. Does that make sense? The moment they lead you away from the gospel or in Uh, out of accord with the gospel, they lose that authority. They are no longer qualified in that way. And so Peter is appealing to an authority that comes from Christ, that comes from what he understands, uh, from his understanding of the gospel, his experience of the gospel. He also lets us know here that the Christian life is about suffering and then glory. It's suffering in this life for the sake of Christ and then glory, because that's what Christ's pattern was. He came and suffered and then was received into glory. So to follow him is to suffer and then to enter glory. Suffering then glory. Suffering then glory. It's the theme of the whole book of 1 Peter. It's the theme of the New Testament. Suffering then glory for all of us. Suffering in glory led by our Savior. Suffering in glory the apostles uh, had to walk suffering then glory. Elders are now to set the example of walking in suffering and then glory. Congregations walk through suffering in this life and then glory in the next. Christians, this is really what following Jesus is all about, and it's what elders are made to model and to help us through. Flocks won't suffer well without elders who shepherd well, which means that you need to be known by elders and submissive to them, and they need to know you and lead you by example with great gentleness and care and strength. Eldership is a suffering calling. It's a call to suffering, and it's a humble calling, as we saw in here, clothe yourselves with humility. Peter says, I, my walk with Jesus, my shepherding has been marked by the suffering and glory of Christ. It's been for the suffering and glory of Christ. As fellow elders, just walk right alongside that same path, and don't begrudge it. Don't get frustrated when there's suffering and the glory comes later. So Paul, Peter exhorts us as one of us. That's exhortation number one. He models for us exactly the kind of eldering that we ought to be doing. Not exercising, domineering, but setting an example. Secondly, Peter exhorts us on what elders do. What do elders do? Are they a board of directors that make decisions? Are they in cigar-smoked rooms thinking up great, ingenious 
plans? Are they marketing strategists? Are they business leaders? And here's what Peter says, if you could boil it all down to what I'm asking you to do, elders. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Really just one thing. He really only has one command in this whole, or exhortation. There's kind of four things that we're looking at, but really it's just one thing. I want you to do one thing, elders, and it's shepherd the flock of God. Not CEO, not marketing strategist, not wow them, not entertain them, not keep them happy, shepherd them. Shepherd them. Which is, is, is a little disappointing because in the New Testament, shepherding is not highly valued, highly honored. This is a humble calling. Lowly, dirty, monotonous, despised shepherding is the essence of the role, right? Out in the field, doing a bunch of stuff that nobody notices, watching for wolves, looking for pasture, finding water, resting, and then getting up and doing the same thing every day so that the sheep would be healthy. And nobody sees it. Nobody honors it. It's dirty. It's lonely. It's quiet work. But he says that's what the Lord is calling you to is this shepherding the flock of God. And he makes it clear that is among you, which means that you need to be among the sheep, right? You need to be known by the members, by the flock, and they need to know you. You need to be approachable. You need to know them. As we read in the book, the shepherd leader, Timothy Whitmer, tells us that the essence of shepherding in the church is to know, lead, feed, and protect the congregation. So you could boil shepherding down to those four things. Literal shepherding, but also spiritual shepherding. Know the flock, when one is missing, almost knowing their names. I don't know if you've been around a rancher or a farmer or something, and they know, they know it like they know exactly the nuances of every single one of their animals, right? Almost have names for them because they know them. That's the idea. Know them. Lead them. God's people need leadership. Flocks need leadership. Feed them. Protect them. And we do that on a micro level that every single individual needs to be shepherded well as an individual. But then on a macro level, they need to be flocked together. They need to be gathered together. They need to be put together. And so elders work hard to make sure that every sheep is known and well cared for, no lead fed, protected and is doing all they can to keep that sheep in the flock. So we will regularly call you, in fact, at the end of this message, I'm going to call you that if you consider yourself a sheep of God's people, to join a flock, because that's what good shepherds do. And that's what the great shepherd has designed for you, is to call you again and again. And you'll hear that, for as long as I draw breath, I will be calling Christians who are not yet members of a church to gather in a flock. It's what shepherds do, is gather the flock. So shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Not merely a collection of individuals, but God sees his people in this communal life. Brother elders, who does this flock belong to? What does it say? Shepherd the flock of God. This church does not belong to Josh Brown or to Jamie or Steve or Justin. This is God's church. It is God's church. We are stewards Brother elders, this flock belongs to God and we are under shepherds and so we must handle it very carefully. It does not belong to us, it's not for us, it's his. And when the chief shepherd appears, verse 4, you will receive the unfounding crown of glory. We work as his representatives. We work for the sake of the people that belong to him because we'll give an account to him for the condition of his flock. 
So let's never get to the point where we feel like this is my church. I try to be careful not to use language of my church. I say our church. I say the church. Because this isn't ultimately my church. It's mine in that I belong to it. But it's not mine in that I own it. I love what one book that I read talks about the eldering that pastors are supposed to do. Is it's a little bit like being a sheepdog. Sheepdog has one eye on the shepherd, reading the nuances and instructions of the shepherd, and one eye on the sheep, making sure that what the shepherd wants is what happens in the sheep, and the dog is just relentless, right? The, the dog is relentless to make sure the dog is not, the sheepdog is not, does not have a will of his own for the sheep. He only wants to please the chief shepherd, and he only wants to guide the congregation in exactly the way the shepherd wants, right? And then when the work is done, because the dog just loves to please the shepherd, right? The sheepdog loves to please the shepherd, wants to accomplish the will of the shepherd, and then when the work is done, crawl up in the arms of the shepherd. That's what the sheepdog wants to do, right? The sheepdog has in its heart that the congregation would be what the shepherd wants it to be, and he works so hard to accomplish that for the joy of the shepherd, right? And then when the work is done, he just wants to be with his shepherd, right? I love that imagery. I'm sure there's problems. We could go too far with dogs and sheep and all that stuff, but you get the idea, right? Is that's the goal, is that we as the shepherds of this church don't set the agenda. The chief shepherd does. And we have the distinct privilege to have one eye on our shepherd, one eye on the flock, making sure that the instructions that he gives is what we do. And then when the work is done, we curl up with him. We curl up with him and enjoy the fact that we get to serve the great shepherd. They're his sheep. They're not ours. I love what Paul says in Acts chapter 20 as he gathers before he's about to go off and be arrested and face many trials. He meets with the Ephesian elders one last time in Acts chapter 20. They meet him on the beach as he's kind of heading on his way to Jerusalem. And here's what he has to say about them to them. He spent three years with them. Here's what he has to say. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. It belongs to God. This church that you're giving influence and leadership to, that's God's. And so pay very close attention to the sins that you could fall into that would hurt them, right? Keep a close attention on yourself. Keep a close attention to the threats that are coming at the flock. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for God's church, which He obtained with His own blood. Those are His. He died for them. You didn't die for them. He died for them. He purchased them. They're His. And then He says this very sobering word, verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So even some of the elders will begin to be corrupted and injure God's people. So we have to guard. We have to guard the flock even from ourselves, fellow elders. We have to keep a close watch on ourselves. I was thinking about this, that, um, you know, as I was thinking about after we took the vote and these men were received as elders, I was overjoyed at the fact that this will be spread out. I was also sobered a bit because to this point, I was probably the one person who could really wreck this church. Now there's four of us that could really wreck this church. And so I both feel safer now knowing that these men, they'll fire me. They will lead you to fire me if I fall off the rails. They will. They have that kind of courage and that kind of strength. But I also know that it's possible that each one of these men, if we're not careful and watching each other carefully, they could lead you in a, in a very bad direction. So there's a sobriety. This is not to make 
to give you fear, but actually to increase your confidence here. That a plurality of elders who are trying to live according to these exhortations is the safest place for God's sheep to be, to be led. It's people who are modeling this and willing to, to even watch themselves. Verse 31, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day and night to admonish every one of you with tears. So you just see Paul's heart. This isn't a job for him. This is, this is everything that these elders would care well for his church. And as he's about to go suffer, he goes, I need to stop with, in with the Ephesian elders because I just need to make sure that God's people are well cared for in Ephesus. So I need to say both encouragement and some challenge to those men because God's church means so much to him. He shed his blood for them. And they're in danger if these men are not careful to watch the flock. So shepherd the flock of God. And then he tells us how Peter exhorts us, exhort, exhortation, part, part three here. Peter exhorts us on how. So we got the how now. We got the what earlier. What they're to do. Shepherd the flock of God. Now how? How are elders to shepherd? Verses two, the end of verse two, verse, through verse three. He gives three sets of contrasts. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So I find this fascinating. Is that shepherding, he doesn't talk a whole lot about the details of shepherding. He talks about the how of shepherding. It's not just that the job gets done, the people are shepherded. But how you do the work is the work. The how and the what are the same. How you shepherd them and what you're shepherding them towards is one and the same, Christ-likeness. It's Christ-likeness. It's preservation in the faith. It is getting them to that day when the chief shepherd will appear, and you need to lead in that. There's three contrasts given, not this, but this, meaning that we would have a natural tendency in our flesh to lead one way. The world calls us to lead in one way. Leading God's church, spiritual leadership, is a different thing entirely, which sometimes really frustrates people because they really want the church to be this well-run organization. And that's not a bad thing in and of itself. It's just not exactly what shepherds are called to do, is fundamentally have an efficient organization. That's not fundamentally what we're here for. We're shepherds of a flock, not CEOs of a company. So our motivations are totally different from worldly motivations. And we need to guard against temptations to worldly motivations. There's three prohibited, imposter, I would say even demonic forms of shepherding. One is under compulsion. Second is for shameful gain. I think the uh, King James says filthy lucre, which is fun to say. Filthy lucre. I'm, I know what that means, but it's still a weird thing to say. For shameful gain, not domineering, right? Because that's the world's way, right? Under compulsion, for money or for prestige or for, um, for position, for recognition, and not domineering. The three approved and legitimate Christ-like forms of shepherding, of spiritual leadership, is willingly, I think just like Christ came willingly, to suffer and die for his people and to rise again. Christ willingly suffered for the sake of his people. Jesus wasn't coerced or under compulsion. He came and gave himself willingly. And so his shepherds who follow in his example are willing to suffer for the sake of the flock willingly. Eagerly, like Christ, 
who shepherds for our good and for the glory of his Father. So not for shameful gain, not to try to get something for ourselves, but eagerly looking to give more than we receive, assuming that we're going to put in more than we get back in many ways, in many situations. So willingly, eagerly, and exemply. That's not a way to say it. Example, as an example, right? Willingly, eagerly, as an example. Just like Christ, who unites us with himself, that we might become like him. And so we set an example. I'm eager to serve with these three men because I actually think these three guys live these qualities. I think all three of them demonstrate these three qualities in how they've conducted themselves so far in the life of our church. But what I found fascinating, I noticed this a couple months ago, and I wanted to wait to kind of unveil, unveil it here, but I think that each one of these guys uniquely models one of these. Let me, let me explain to you. Not under compulsion, but willingly. I think of Jamie Love. Since before this church began, he's always been the first one to step up to serve. If there's a need in the body, he's quick to do it without any sense of guilt. Even when it's out of his range of passion or experience or gifting, there's never a hesitation in Jamie to serve. Never. No hesitation, no compulsion. He's just a model of willingness. And every time he has taken something, he learns the ropes, he masters it, and then we all benefit from it. I want you to honor and emulate Jamie's example in that. In the last eight months of meeting with Jamie about eldership, I know eldership is a whole brand new thing to Jamie in many ways. But he has put his whole heart willingly to learn about it. And I think that he will excel. I think he'll master it just like everything else out of this sense of willingness. I'm convinced that while Jamie is still learning eldering, he will quickly shepherd you with excellence and willingness. I think of willing, when I think of that quality, under, not under compulsion, but willingly, I think Jamie models that as well as anyone in our congregation. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. I think of Steve. I think of Steve Coper and his family who have been models of generosity and hospitality. Self-giving eagerness has been exactly the way that I would describe Steve and his family and their relationship to the church. Steve loves to see you gathered. He loves that. He loves to see you gathered, which is why he came to me and said, can we organize more picnics? That was Steve. Steve wanted to see you gathered and enjoying each other. That's Steve. That sounds shepherd-like. They bought meat. They bought things. They organized things. Not because they're trying to get something for themselves, but they eagerly want to see the congregation know one another. Steve loves to see you gathered together, which is why he took the initiative to organize picnics. It's why they host a home group. And what I love about Steve is Steve is himself. Steve is open about his struggles, his faults, his sins. He isn't looking to get anyone's approval. He's not looking to get any sort of resources or pity back on himself. And I'll just tell you that as a natural people pleaser, I am helped by Steve in his example. I'm corrected and encouraged by the fact that Steve's not manipulative. He's transparent. He's secure in his identity in Christ. He and Leah want nothing more than for all of you to be able to enjoy God in the Bible for yourself. Steve brings that up regularly, that, hey, we should be helping train people to read their Bibles better for themselves and to pray well for each other. He sent me suggestions on how our home groups can pray better together. Ministry of the Word and Prayer, he wants to see that excel in our congregation. While at times I know feeling like he's not as strong in that as he would like to be. To me, that smells of 1 Peter 5. Learn and imitate the eagerness you see in Steve and his family. The last quality here, not domineering, but being examples to the flock. 
I would say that if any of you have known Justin McGeary for more than three days, you think that you see this quality in him, do you not? He's the obvious embodiment of this quality. I must say that to my shame, there have been more than one instance where someone in the flock has felt that I have been domineering over them. And who do they instinctively go to every time? They go to Justin. Because they know that if they're feeling that way, he will empathize with them. He will challenge them in all the right ways, but he'll do so with gentleness and with example. And then they'll sit down with me and Justin will hold the mirror up to me with great empathy and concern for me and the people involved. That has happened more than one time. I would tell you that Justin would lay his life down if it meant that we, if we were prevented from hurting you. I didn't say that as well as I would like. That maybe is Justin's biggest concern is that we would be domineering to the flock. And I love that about him. So I think between these three men, not only do they model this, I think, well, all three of them, all three qualities, I think there's something about the dynamic of putting those three men together on an elder board that really shines this First Peter 5 and why I'm so excited to, um, to serve with them. I know they were all incredibly uncomfortable that I just did that. But I want to increase your, because they're humble, they're humble. But I want you to have confidence that as we move forward, that these men, that this is my honest assessment of these men. And I want you to appreciate and encourage them in this. I want you to have confidence that not just in each one of these men, but in the dynamic of the plurality, we will have a a 1 Peter 5 kind of ministry grow here kind of eldership established here. These men are going to set the tone for future elders in the life of this church, and I'm really grateful that they model these qualities in this distinct way and can bring that together in our decision-making. I love what Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of the way of life, and imitate their faith. Brothers, the how of shepherding is also the what of shepherding. How we minister is just as important as what. It's not just that we get things done in this church, but that we do it in the way that Christ wants done. Let us resolve today to draw out the strengths of one another on the elder board while humbly addressing the weaknesses that we each bring, the deficiencies we each bring. Let us guard the flock from that which in us which would be harmful to the congregation and stir up and encourage one another to give away that which would be beneficial. May we be models of godly encouragement and godly criticism in all the right ways. The con- and congregation, wherever and however and whatever your elders exemplify that matches with Christ and godliness, steal it and make it your own. Follow their example. Fourth exhortation, Peter exhorts us on why shepherds shepherd. 1 Peter 5.4, here's the motivation, here's the why. Here's the why of eldering. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfounding, unfading, I don't know why I say unfounding, unfading crown of glory. So men, the pleasure of the chief shepherd is why we elder. Of course we do it because we love the fellow members and we love the church, but I'm telling you that love will be tested at times and we're going to need something stronger under our feet, a love for Christ a desiring of his approval. Because here's the realities. Sheep bite. People leave for bad reasons. 
There's criticism coming for your wife and your kids, just merely by being in the role that you're in. There will be spiritual attack. Your temptations to sin will strangely increase. Your tendency to get discouraged will be heightened. You'll have more reasons to be discouraged as you dig into the life of people. I would say that on average, there's about one night of sleep per week that gets disrupted because of my concerns for the souls of the people in this room. So prepare for that. That's just kind of part of it. doesn't always make sense, but that's part of it, of shouldering the weight of shepherding. There will be people who refuse to join. There will be, or upon joining, refuse to follow. Or will pick and choose what aspects of Christian life they will obey. You will have hard conversations that will go really, really badly. You will be accused of being too nosy and involved and too distant and not involved by the same person at the same time. Your motives will be questioned. Your decisions will be misinterpreted. And your love sometimes will be unreciprocated. And in those moments, it would be easy to quit or to lash out or to defend ourselves when really we just look to when the chief shepherd appears and the unfading crown of glory will come to those who faithfully shepherd and continue to shepherd in the spiritual way. There's that and a hundred more things ahead, so why be an elder? This doesn't sound fun at all because the chief shepherd is going to appear soon for his sheep. And what a joy it will be to present them to him. But we did our best. We tried to be faithful. And he'll say, well done, my under-shepherds. Well done. I have a special reward for you. If you're faithful to him on his terms, not the terms that the members might set for you, but that his terms, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Like we said before, the default setting is suffering than glory. The greater the suffering, the greater the glory. By being installed to serve as elders today, you are increasing your suffering, but you are also increasing your joy, your eternal joy, and your reward. And if I'm reading this right, in some way I can't explain, we're bringing increased joy to our chief shepherd. Huh. That might be worth it. And as we think about it, who in the Bible has had an easy job leading God's people? Can you think of anyone in the Bible who, when they were leading God's people, went, it just went great all the time? It's always suffering difficulty, even death. So let's not be disoriented if all of a sudden there's more hardship and difficulty because we're leading God's church. We're fighting against Satan, sin, and the world for the sake of his sheep. But he's coming back and he wants to find his shepherds faithful and his sheep healthy. And we get the joy of being there on presentation day. It'll be glorious. So, there's four kinds of people in this room. What I want you to walk away with here is that there are some in here who are lost. You don't know Christ. Like it says in Isaiah, we all like sheep have gone astray. We've all gone after our own way. But God sent Christ to come for us individually. So to the lost and the ungathered, become Christ's sheep through repentance and faith. Everything in this passage about what Christ has done, right? Everything is about what Christ has done because that's the center of Christianity. That's how you become a sheep. That's how you be shepherded. That's how salvation comes from sin, from wolves, from destruction. Become Christ's sheep through repentance and faith. Turn from your sin and be drawn to the shepherd. His life, his death, his resurrection was for you that you might be gathered to him. Some in this church are found, by God's grace, you have repented and believed in the gospel, but you've not yet 
gathered in a good flock. The found and ungathered. Find a good flock with faithful shepherds and formally join it. If it's here, we would love that. If it's another church, do that. But the Christian life is flock life. It is flock life. And so I'm glad that you have the most important thing true, which is a relationship with your shepherd, that you trust in Jesus, that you are his sheep, that he is your shepherd. But you do need a family. You do need a flock. You do need elders in your life. Christ didn't just die for individuals. He died for his bride, for a flock. He shed his own blood. The church is Jesus' creation, not ours. Membership is his idea, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. The entire New Testament is church-centered. You do not find one faithful Christian in the New Testament who isn't formally joined to a local church. My exhortation to you is to join this church and be covenant member, and if you can't join here, then find a church where you can. 1 Peter 5, the very next verse, verse 5 of the text we've looked at today, likewise, you who are younger, I think that's maybe biologically younger, but also spiritually younger, be subject to the elders. There is something in us, spiritual immaturity hates to submit. That's one of the marks of immaturity. You know that in your own kids, right? You know they're maturing when they start to understand and rightly relate to authority. Likewise, you are younger, submit to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I always think of that passage as like God's hand is against, like down on the proud, pushing them down, so to speak, and he uplifts the humble. So which, you know, so we want to be marked by humility in the life of the church and as Christians. To those of you that are found and gathered members of this church or members of another faithful church, receive the faithful shepherding of your elders as a good gift from Christ. Thank you for your commitment to obey all that Christ has commanded. Pray for these elders. Make their work a joy. Allow them to know you, equip you, lead you, protect you. Go to them for prayer, for counsel. Trust them. Hold them accountable. Encourage them. And other men, aspire to be qualified for eldership in this church. We would love for every man in here to be qualified for eldership. Whether God gives that or not, We would love everyone to be moving in the same godliness that is required of all of us, that hopefully and expectantly the elders model well for us. And then lastly, the elders of the flock know, lead, feed, and protect this flock from and for the glory of Christ. Let's know, lead, feed, and protect this flock to the best of our ability, brothers, for their good and Christ's pleasure. Let us draw deeply from the gospel in our own lives personally, like Peter himself did, because I know Christ and his sufferings and the glory that's coming. Let us minister in that same way, also looking to the hope when he completes his work and comes for his people. Let us always remember that we will give an account, but part of that account is how joyful we were in the work, Hebrews 13, 17. Let us do all we can to make this work a joy for each other. Let us be willing to step down if we are disqualified or incapable of doing this work as laid out here. Let us always root our identity in the chief shepherd who loved us and gave himself for us because he's coming with unfading crowns of glory for his faithful. Let us see this whole flock get to that day. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this scripture perhaps my favorite passage on eldership ever. Thank you for these men as they step into this role. I pray that this congregation, that everyone here would, uh, would take a step 
in the direction that you are calling them. God, if there are some in here who don't know you, who are lost, that they would be drawn to the beauty of what the good shepherd is like, that you would call them and they would follow you, as you said in John 10, that your sheep hear your voice and they follow. So Lord, call some people today. Bring some people into your, your into salvation today, into your flock. And God, for those that have been found but have not yet been gathered in a flock for a variety of reasons. I don't assume that that's all bad reasons, but Lord, I pray that you would give them a flock. They would see the value of it and you would give them opportunity, give them a flock that they might join, that they might be well shepherded. And so Lord, we pray that you would, you would give them that gift and they might see the benefit and maybe even in this time together see the dynamic between elders and congregation and be, um, and be drawn to it and long to participate in it. And God, thank you for these members here. God, I pray that you would help them to own their responsibility as members, to be willing to be equipped and led and fed and protected by these men, that they would do their part to be a part of the body of Christ, that there would be no part of the body that's incapacitated or ineffective, that these men would help stir that up, that we'd be quick to gather together at our family meetings, that we'd be quick to gather together on Sunday mornings, that we would receive the ministry one-to-one and in groups. So it would help us to be what we've covenanted to be as members. And God, for these elders, God, help them to lead in exactly this First Peter kind of way. And may we all enjoy Jesus Christ and long for the day when he comes with the unfading crown of glory. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for this calling, for this opportunity to serve you in this way, in this time. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.